Welcome to another episode of the Sawdust and Fire podcast. We are your host. I am Hunter Johnson. And I'm Thomas Baldridge. Hey, welcome to another Sawdust and Fire podcast. Um, Hunter, how's things going in your neck of the woods? Oh, pretty good. We've had some rain and man, I'm excited about that. Got some uh, wheat starting to sprout a little bit. So clover starting to green up a little bit again and uh, deer are moving, seeing lots of scrapes and and uh, uh, seeing deer run around. Had a good buck run across the uh, levee in front of me today. Uh, probably uh, he's a good mature buck, probably, probably 160 plus. Uh, oh, nice, nice buck. But uh, I'm about ready to get started on some of it, man. This this working all the time is getting old. I'm ready for this rutcation everybody keeps talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, our modern gun season's just fixing to get kicked off, and uh, hopefully, I, you know, everybody will have a good season. I've been seeing some some good activity as well. Yeah, it's um, uh, I'm I'm hoping for a good one. We ain't got no water to duck hunt anytime soon, so. Uh, I think I'm going to start whittling on these deer. I got some herd management to do and, and, uh, I got a couple buck tags itching a hole in my pocket right now. So that's right. That is exactly right. Well, Hey, um, we got a, we got a really cool guest, uh, this, this podcast and, and I'm really excited about having, having this guy, um, uh, actually, actually met him through Facebook. He lives close. And then I sent you some messages and said, hey, check this guy out. And yeah, then, we, we talked about him quite a bit. I said, what, you know yeah. this guy? What, what's, uh, yeah. I, I think it. we had some mutual friends that knew him. And, and so I was asking some folks, hey, what, what's this guy's story? He's, uh, he's making some sense on Facebook on some topics that's pretty hot. So, yeah, he, he was saying, he was saying the right things and most people don't. Yep. So, and then he showed some pictures and I screenshot them and sent them to him and said, look what this guy's done. And almost, uh, like, almost like timber restoration. Yeah. It looked really good. And uh, I said, man, this guy's got a, got a, a company going and a business for uh, dozer work and habitat and wildlife and all this. I said, Som- something's up. And then we just uh, eventually uh, wound up meeting him. He don't live too far from us. And, uh, setting a learn to burn class with him. And then I've actually had him here, uh, doing some, some contract work on, uh, on our, on our ground. Yep. It's, uh, everybody I've talked to says he's a pretty good fellow. We'll, we'll have to, that you get to be determined. He, he told me, don't, don't come around up, up where he lives and ask, because then they may tell you something different. So, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, we're excited to have Matt Martin with us from martin land services how, how you doing matt i'm doing good it's nice to meet all y'all podcasters yeah. to tell you the truth i really met them on tinder they swiped i swiped and it was love at first sight <laughs> i don't know what all they were talking about but not really that's a joke no i don't take that serious <laughs> yeah that's right that's exactly right well matt tell us about yourself and 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 your background and how you came to be uh, sitting on a dozer putting on fire lanes here? Well, let's see. I'm Matt Martin from the big town of Floral, Arkansas. 
sitting on my back porch right now drinking some good American sweet tea. The uh, how I got started. Well, I was raised here around close to Floral Pleasant Plains and uh, always been into hunting and fishing. It was a big deal. And I would say, you know, here in school, a lot of a lot of kids done sports. And I would say if any sport I do, it'd probably been baseball. I like to I can throw things pretty good. And uh, anyway, I started doing a little baseball practicing. And one day I was fixing to head to baseball practice. And one of my wild uncles that eh, may or may not have been on some hard drugs. But uh, anyway, he uh, he said, hey, you want to go fishing? I said, well, I got to go to baseball practice. Oh, baseball practice, you want to go, let's go fishing. Well, that was the end of my school sports career right there. That was the end of it. <laughs> so I chose fishing and hunting and working in the shop, stuff like that. I started running a dozer when I was probably about two in the dirt pile. That's where I learned how to do it. You know, pushing it and with a spit running down your face. Anyway, I went to graduated school there and then I went off to college up at University of Arkansas. Got a degree in environmental soil and water science, bachelor's degree there. And Kind of took a turn. I went to work for the railroad for eight years and I retired early from the railroad and I went to work um, for NRCS and I kind of got tired of being gone every night, all the nights gone staring at the hotel walls. And I kind of wanted to do something that I'm more interested in and I like to do. So kind of the opportunity to come up and God opened all these doors. I mean, it's just like I'm walking through a hallway and he's door open, door open, door open, you know, and I'm going in this door and then that leads to another door. But anyway, through all them doors, it uh, led me to NRCS. And I worked there for a little over, probably a little over a year. And <clears throat> which I'll have to back up to get where I get in, got into habitat. Anyway, then um, that led me, I'd got a dozer. And I was doing just a little dozer work and uh, doing some clearing and working on some ponds and stuff. Well, I got busy with that and I decided, you know, I think where I'm meant to be is out actually doing this work, not out here working for NRCS, which I, you know, I did enjoy it going out and helping the landowners. But and I started up my business and I got so busy uh, that uh, I had to leave NRCS, I had to pick one or the other. But anyway, so here I am out here, I uh, own, own and operate the uh, Martin Land and Habitat Services. But kind of like back up a little bit where I got started with Habitat is, oh, growing up, I was just your, I guess your everyday uh, American kid growing up in the hills of Arkansas. Uh, hunting to me was, you put up a pipe feeder, you fill it up about three or four days before deer season's open. And you might, I mean, if, if you're lucky and you can sneak it out, get a jar of peanut butter, screw it to the tree with a hole cut in it. You know, you got to feed the coons. But we thought some big monster bucks was eating this peanut butter. And also, I would every once in a while plant a nice felling food plot in some highly acidic soil. It looked green and nice for just a little bit there. And I thought, man, if it's not a good food plot. And then it withered away. But, and we were... I grew up with a bunch of cousins and we were just hillbillies and we would ride on the hanging off the fenders of a three-wheeler. My uncle would drive us through the woods and drop us off. Say, hey, there's a deer stand out there. Go out there and set. 
And when you get done, walk to the house. And, you know, it'd be about a three-quarter mile walk back to the house. They just turned us loose. First deer I killed, I had a SKS, and it actually had the bayonet fitted on it. <laughs> and the name of this SKS was called the Lion Tamer. I don't know why, but it was the Lion Tamer. <laughs> we wasn't shooting any lions, but that's what I was hunting with. But anyway, after I graduated college, um, it rocked on, and I eventually uh, became a landowner. Got me some property, and I would say right before I got the property, somebody told me about some podcast and some YouTube videos. So I started watching this stuff. Now I started learning things I didn't know. I knew a little bit about habitat restoration from some college classes, but I didn't know nothing about Hackensquirting. Never heard it. Sounded crazy. Hackensquirting. Started watching these YouTube videos and the podcast I would watch or I'd listen to it's a good thing we ain't watching them or y'all be all disappointed right now. <laughs> but anyway, the podcast I'd listen to, I would skip through them and I'd go to the Habitat podcast. I'd listen to those. I'd skip all the hunting strategy and stuff, not like I didn't need it, and go to the Habitat ones. So, and I literally, I went down a rabbit hole and I got engrossed in this Habitat stuff. Well, and then where I really went deep with it, I, I run across Land and Legacy. And like I tell people, I said, hey, these are some good podcasts and YouTube videos. But if you're really serious about it and you want to really go down the rabbit hole, you're going to the red pill or blue pill. And you really want to go down a rabbit hole, listen to Land and Legacy because they go deeper with it. Anyway, I got engrossed with that. And right before I learned all this, I had the property. And I got an NRCS contract. I had a buddy who worked for NRCS. I'd heard about NRCS in college. And I had me a contract. And boy, I sure wish that I knew now. I knew then what I know now. And that contract would have been a whole lot different. And we can get it. We'll get into that of what I would have done different on that contract now. But anyway, I do the land and habitat business. I do a lot of dozing. Dozing is going to be my main thing. And I do some hacking and squirting and do some chainsaw work. And I'll put in some food plots and do a lot of fire breaks. I try to specialize in fire breaks. I really, I really take pride in my fire breaks. I want a smooth fire break. If it's not worthy to take a good picture and post it, I'm going to keep running over it until it is. And uh, anyway, so that's kind of what I'm doing now. And as they say, that brings y'all right up to date. Well, I, I got, I got a question. You worked for the railroad. Man, they ain't even a set of railroad tracks in Cleburne County. Well, they, uh, no, a lot of my railroad career was spent mostly in Texas. I'd be on a traveling gang. I'd work eight days off and home six days. That was best case scenario. And the other cases, you were away a lot more. And anywhere from Chicago, Illinois to El Paso, Texas, and everywhere in between. Okay. Yeah, I didn't look. I did a little working from home maintenance where I was on call and I had a track over toward Wynn and Augusta and I didn't like being on call. That for me is not the life to live. I worry about it too much and uh, being on call is not my deal. Well, I was just wondering how that happened because, uh, you know, it ain't Cleburne County boy don't see, even see trains very often. So no, no, the, I, I'm, the, you don't see no trains up here. I, every once in a while, I'll hear a truck going down Floral Highway that's got a train horn on it, and I'll hear it honk, and that, you know, 
being worked for the railroad, when you hear a train horn, it gets your attention real quick. And I think, oh, that's a truck. <laughs> Luckily, I don't want to live anywhere close to a railroad track. <laughs> well, I, I just had to pester you about that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Destiny took me on the railroad for just a little bit. But anyway, now I'm back, back, back here. And I don't know if my wife's happy or not. No, she really is. She wanted me to be. <laughs> But well, blessed to be back home. Definitely blessed. And all my buddies that's left on the railroad, uh, I hope someday they can spend every night at home. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. But, hey, well, but, Matt, let's, uh, let's go through a few things here. You've had the, uh, the benefit of seeing a lot of different sides. You've, you've worked in the NRCS office where you're going out and helping landowners and maybe even trying to you know, formulate a plan with them. You've actually been a landowner uh, yourself, trying to figure out what to do. You, you've been you've uh, been a landowner with an NRCS contract, um, and then you turned around and wound up doing contract work uh, for a lot of these different things, uh, whether it was somebody funding it or whether it was a NRCS contract or some other contract or whatever. So you've got a unique perspective, I think, on. Uh, you know, seeing a lot of the different sides of this and knowing, knowing how it feels in each one of those scenarios. So let's just, let's kind of walk through a deal and let's just say we've purchased a property, me, you and Hunter, we went in and bought uh, 500 acres or whatever. And uh, we're going to make this our family's, you know, destination dream farm or, or, uh, hunting property or, or maybe, maybe hunting and a little, little cattle or, or whatever, but let's just say we bought a property. Let's just start walking through. What do we do now? We, we signed the papers. We, we got a payment coming up and, we'll, and, and we're excited. So what do we do with this property and how do we figure that out? Okay. Well, first I would say do as much as you can, as much looking it over, research and thinking before you go to the NRCS office. Have you kind of a plan and what your goal is? So I would start by, I like to look at the topography of a property. Uh, just start, find out where your ridge tops are. Find out where your south facing slopes are, your north slopes and your west slopes, your east slopes. Figure out all that. Uh, walk the property, walk the whole thing. Don't go into the NRCS office and say, hey, I got a property I want to sign up for something. I don't know what it is, but I just want to sign up for something. And there's people that'll do that. Um, look it over. Uh, and like I said, do a lot of research, uh, research that you can. Listen to podcasts like this, these Land and Legacy podcasts. Watch YouTube videos. Look up Craig Harper. Get his book. Um, and look and see. just see what's there, what trees you got. Uh, what trees should be there, what trees shouldn't, you know, is your, uh, is your old fields completely covered in cedars? Has this property been let go for 15 years and nobody's touched it? Has, here's a good question is, if, if there's been hay pastures on your property, has it been extensively managed for hay? Has they been spraying it? Have, have they, uh, sprayed graze on or 2,4-D on these pastures for the last 10 years? 
you know, has that depleted my native plants that could have been there? Or is this not? Has this been something somebody's rolled in there and cut once a year and I've still got a good native seed bank in there that just needs activated by some, maybe some chemical and fire. Look over the property. Uh, I would advise anybody to learn about basal area. Maybe get you a, a prism that helps you in, to read the basal area or like Hunter was saying, you know, use your thumb um, and just figure out what that means and how to determine that, how to take some forgery plots, get an idea. <clears throat> Look, when I go to a property, I like to take a, something like a soil probe or take a shovel, anything. Sharpen you up a piece of rebar and weld a T on the top of it with another piece of rebar and probe it in the soil. You know, just say, hey, man, right here, I pushed this down, went eight inches, didn't hit nothing. It's pretty soft. And I like to take a little shovel and dig, look, man, this looks like this spot. You know, maybe this could be a spot for a food plot. This would make sense for a food plot. And look over that property, get you a plan, kind of have an idea of what you want before you go to the NRCS office. Don't let them completely have a hold of the steering wheel. You have a hold of it too. It is your property. And, you know, it's your right to do what you want, but... In our, for NRCS to help, it's got to make sense. It's got to meet resource concerns. It's got to be a remedy for a resource concern with a resource concern there. And that's a key word with NRCS, it's resource concern. I know on a previous podcast, the Quail Girls mentioned it. That's a big thing. Usually don't hear that. And I guess I probably need to hit on that for a second. So if you're a new landowner, a resource concern would be, okay, I'm wanting wildlife habitat. Here I've got a south facing slope that's full of cedar trees. It's nothing but cedar trees. Maybe I got a hickory thrown in there, here and there, and a few post oaks, but they're scattered out and every hole is filled in with cedars. When you get down on your knees, look under these cedars, it's, it's a desert. There's nothing but uh, cedar needles. The resource concern there is there's no wildlife habitat. There's nothing for them to eat. There's nothing for a turkey or a quail to nest in. They get under there and it's a predator uh, hundred yard dash. I mean, it's a turkey ain't gonna get in there in the first place because they can't get up and fly. So the resource concern is the habitat is not there. So NRCS needs that resource concern right off the bat. Or let's mention there's, there's a field, a fescue field. It's nothing but fescue, the solid fescue, but I want wildlife habitat. My resource concern is the habitat's not there because it's covered in fescue. So there's a resource concern and NRCS will apply practices to that resource concern to meet it. And to meet the resource concern in the cedar south basin slope, we cut all the cedars and run a fire through there to get that plant response for bedding and cover and food. And same thing with the fescue field, their resource concern there, maybe you spray it on your own, smoke it with some Roundup and then burn it. Or if it's been depleted, this is when I would recommend doing pollinators on for sure a field that's been sprayed, has been managed extensively for hay and your natives are depleted because it's been sprayed every year with two, four deer graze on a remedy or something. Anyway, and you need to put some native seeds back in there. So that may be a spot you need to plant five acres for the pollinators or more. So the resource concern is there and NRCS will meet it. So try to have those in your mind before you go to NRCS office and just just have a basic idea of what you want to do. And let's see. And 
one thing with New Lando, ask for advice. Get the a big tool is the Quail Forever people um, because they're serious about wildlife. And that's, you know, they're, they're not coming out there specifically as to manage your property for a cattle farm to set up for rotational grazing. They're wildlife people. And they may know plenty about the cattle stuff, but they're wildlife people. And they know about their wildlife habitat and what that south-facing slope or that ridge top needs to look like. And they can tell you this. And, you know, get a if some private land biologist, get them out there. Just get a bunch of people. If you think, well, I wonder if this timber is worth any money. Get a forester out there and see what he thinks it's worth. But just don't take one of these person, one of these people's advice and set it in stone. Take everything that you're being told, put it together, do a little research on your own, and then come up with a conclusion. But you may get some bad advice. That's that's another topic. But do your own research and go into the NRCS office uh, with an idea. And when you go into that NRCS office, see if they got somebody there that is a wildlife person. They may not have a quail forever person there, like here in Independence County, which I do live real close to Cleburne, but I'm actually in the Independence, but real close. Like almost throw a rock and get Cleburne County. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, here in Independence County, there's not a quail forever person. But just go in there, walk through the door and say, hey, I'm wanting to set my property up for wildlife and I want to do what it takes, whatever it takes to make it good for wildlife. Is there anybody here that's a wildlife habitat person? And see if there's somebody that, I mean, just really their face starts glowing when you said that, because that I would have been that guy. I'd be like, yes, pick me. I will help you out. Let's go get in the truck. We'll go there right now. <laughs> but, you know, and figure out what's that, Hunter? I, I don't think a lot of people probably realize the importance of all of the, the work that you're talking about doing. Um you know, so, so why, why is there a need if, if I, so if I go up, let's say we go up in anywhere in the hills of Arkansas and we buy a piece of property today, um, why, why would I want to walk it? Uh, what, what's there now that I should be concerned about? Um, why should I be concerned about it? Um, you know, I, I'm really suspecting your answer is going to, uh, uh, have something to do with, uh, the species that's growing there and, and the absence of what should be. So, so how do we figure that out? Um, we've bought a piece of property and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's timber, it's old pastures and, and, you know, maybe the folks that had it, they got old and, and moved on or died off. And, and, um, uh, so now we've bought this property. So, so why should I be concerned about restoring anything or doing anything on it? Excellent question. Okay, let's run. Let's run with this one. I'm going to start with a little backstory here. So I would say when I was about five or six, just old enough to carry a Red Rider BB gun. My dad was a quail hunter. He don't have the patience to deer hunt or turkey hunt. I went turkey hunt, deer hunting with wild uncles, but he was a quail hunter. Had the bird dogs. He was big into it. So I would go with him, but I was never. Uh, the time the quail left or anyway that's that when the quail was gone i was my i was old enough to quail hunt that's what i'm saying when they were here i was too young 
So anyway, I'd go with my dad. And I remember I've got these fields pictured in my mind. There probably is a crow flies south of here about, mm, I'd say, eight miles. They, uh, it was on our, my great uncle's place. And those fields that we would wait in, I remember what they was because it was very hard for a five-year-old to walk through. You got the broom sedge and what we called sawbriars, blackberries. And I'm sure there was wild plum thickets and sumac thickets, but it was very hard for me to wade through. And, but I remember those quail hunts. We jumped quail all the time. I mean, there was quail everywhere. We pull the truck over on the side of the road, hop a fence and start hunting and quail everywhere. I can take you to those same field right now. And here's what's there. I would say pretty close to that time. So this would be about mid nineties. Um, my great uncle's son-in-law started farming that property. And the first thing they did is they come in and dissed all the fields up right all the way up to the little streams and the fence rows and fertilized it and, and sown fescue there. And those fields right now are all nicely uh, kept fescue as they're just hay fields now. And I promise you, you can take the best bird dog in the world and we can't go out there and find a quill. And used to, it was very easy. There's quail everywhere. So that kind of leads to the answer to the question is why? You know, why do we want to do anything? And because those fields that were perfect quail habitat, there's no quail there now. And if everybody don't do anything, you can just forget the quail. That's some, there's got to be a turning point. And I've heard all kinds of crazy story about where the quail it was the chicken hawks. It was this. It was armadillos eating eggs, but everything. But I know the difference that I see, I can take you there and show it to you, is the habitat is not there. It does not exist anymore. And guess what? There's still coyotes there. There was coyotes there when the quail were there. They didn't just magically appear. And fox, the chicken hawks, whatever. I think my great uncle, he thought it was the chicken hawks. And I've even heard people say it's chicken litter. Everything from chicken hawks to chicken litter got to quail. But what's gone is the habitat. So with us being our new landowners on our new property here we're talking about, we've got to look what's there and see what habitat we can put there. So with the trees, I mean, typical in Independence County, you could throw, a, throw anything and hit a map. Uh, it's going to be mostly closed canopy forest. And there's cedars everywhere. You don't touch a field in six years, it's going to be a cedar thicket. That's, I mean, that's just the way it is. Because, and the main thing is, I blame it on Smokey Bear, Smokey the Bear. <laughs> but no. the suppression of fire, I mean, uh, you take a cedar tree in the first two years, the fire is going to smoke it. It's going to be a dead cedar tree. But you let it go, get up past that four or five years, and you may not be able to get it fired. Eventually, you're not going to be able to get it with a fire. And if you let a cedar thicket, come on full and thick you can't even run a fire under it try to run a fire under a, a closed canopy cedar a fire will get to that and stop yeah. there ain't no leaves up under there to carry the fire and the and the limbs have done delimb themselves where they're up off the ground but anyway i mean we, we got to look at the what's there and what we can put there and that's just the thomas, main you, you told me numbers today thomas about birds yeah yeah, uh, it's it's quite uh, quite alarming, you know, when you start talking about what we've lost. Um, today, I drove by 
place real close to where I, I grew up as a kid. And, uh, you know, Matt, you were talking about that field that they used to see. Well, there was a, a guy who had a, had a homestead uh, there, small little old farmhouse. And he farmed this, this property and, and it was, it was farm ground. I mean, no trees in this, in this man's field. And I went by there today and you, you can't walk through there for the trees. I mean, it's, it's, you know, sweet gum and elm and cedar and all these undesirables. And they are, they are now, which I'm sure that that's been, uh, oh, wow. You know, that's been a long time ago, I guess, when I was a kid running around there. But, uh, you know, it was so thick and those trees were so tall. I was just like, man, and, and the house is gone. You can't even see the old farmhouse anymore. It, I don't know if they tore it down or if it burned. I don't know what happened to it. But, uh, you know, it is totally gone. People now, if they drove by there, would never know that that existed there. Never have any idea. And, uh, you know, recently... You were helping me on a, a 28 acre track uh, that that my folks bought uh, about a year ago, and I had seen some rocks in in a cedar thicket, and uh, you had made a pass through there with a the dozer, and I got to looking and noticed it was an old chimney, the remnants of an old chimney, and we found an old well in there. Had no earthly idea that that it was like that at all. And, you know, the encroachment in that field now, <clears throat> half of the field's gone with, with cedar, sweet gum, wing down, persimmon, uh, multiflora rose, uh, good Lord, about every little thing that you wouldn't want, it's there. And so we're, we're fighting that battle. But, you know, Hunter, Hunter brought this up on these numbers. Uh, I shared these with a guy the other day. This all come from Audubon these statistics, we have lost 3 billion birds in North America since 1970. 3 billion birds lost in North America since 79 uh, or 70. Uh, it, you know, it, it's astonishing. One in four birds we have lost in North America alone. And when I say lost, I mean extinct, gone. They ain't coming back. And Everybody thinks, oh, it's tur our turkeys are declining. Well, before that, the quail were declining. And before that, all these songbirds were. And it's, it's catching up to us. And so it's not just turkey. It's not just quail. It's not just songbirds. We're losing entire ecosystems. So to me, the importance, you know, of, of looking at this property. Now, I look at things differently because I'm the one that's either having to do the work or figure out how we're going to fund the work. So when I'm even looking at a property, of course, I love like you looking at things, Google Earth, uh, you know, Onyx and, and just about anything else I can look at imagery. I, I, I love it. But the, the thing that I also like to look at is what was here historically that I need to put back like it was historically, like I need to put this back like the good Lord intended it to be. And what invasives, non-natives, or you really can't call a cedar, I guess, invasive, but that sucker sure is migrating where he should, shouldn't be and invading a lot of areas. So 
how much work, what's here, how much work is it going to take me to turn this around? And, and then what's that going to cost and how am I funding it? You know, I, I look at some of those kind of things when I'm, when I'm looking at property, but the historical value to me is where it's at. But, uh, you know, you mentioned something else, Matt, and I'm not beating up on, uh, you know, NRCS or Game and Fish or QF or, or whomever, but I've had a lot of people here. I did exactly what you said. I, I called anybody with a, a chainsaw, a title, uh, a business card. I mean, you, you name it, I called them and I got their advice and opinions and, uh, you know, same way with government agencies, everybody's got a, a, a private lands biologist of any kind. I've called them and asked them to come out here. I've hired foresters. I, I mean, I just, you know, all kinds of stuff. And the one thing I can tell you is you are going to get some bad advice period. Now you'll get some good advice and you'll learn, but you got to do some research on your own, but, uh, you know, to be able to push through that, even, even, you know, even listening to the different sides from a forester to a wildlife person to an NRCS person, I'm not saying one's right or wrong, depending on what your goals are, but they all look through a different lens. You know, they just look at life differently. And, you know, a forester may know about ecological restoration, but that's not what he's been doing for the past 20 years. He's been growing trees, cutting trees, you know, and thinking about that next harvest, uh, which turns you into a tree farmer. And, um, you know, your wildlife folks are thinking about, you know, things a little differently than your NRCS guy is. He's thinking about resource concerns and, you know, what he's seen in those government check boxes. And that's why every one of them that I have talked to always put the ball back in your court. And they said, well, what's your goals? That was the most frustrating thing initially for me is like, I'm like, what do you mean? I, I came up here because y'all all been to school for this and you're supposed to know more than me. And the one thing that I took for granted is that they did know more than me. And, uh, and I relied on them probably too much because I even had two here uh, Monday and we were talking about some different projects and they're like, well, this is what, you know, we'd recommend or like to see, but you know, Hey, we'll work with you and what your goals are. If you want to do this, we'll do this. You know I mean? And so they have a lot of flexibility in some areas, uh, but you have to know what you want because if, if you don't, then it gets, exactly what you said you don't want somebody else driving the car really you know you want you want them helping to fill it up you, you, you know when you pull up the gas pump you want them to help fill it up but you don't want them driving right but what what about you know some of those different things like uh you know some old school practices you know we we always are fond of old school we think old school is better but what about the old school philosophy versus new school philosophy and then talk to me about do we really need food plots or is it a big waste of time? Okay, let's start with old school. So I get a lot of old school perspective because a lot of my family are old school. The, uh, when they would send us to the woods as kids, it was shoot a buck if you see a buck. It don't matter if it's a spike or a 12 point, shoot a buck. Do not shoot a doe. We were in trouble if we shot a doe. We did not shoot does. And... 
like my dad when I started doing hack and squirting here. He said, "Well, you sure are wasting a lot of good firewood." <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a whole bunch. You're wasting firewood, and, well, and my response to him was, "Well, get up here and cut all you want the uh, gas on it." But there's a lot of old school out there, and cedars. I've heard a lot cedar thicket. That's where my deer are, or in the cedar thicket. Well, they're in the cedar thicket because there's just nothing else. I promise you, if you put something else, it's going to be better than that cedar thicket. If you put, uh, let's put some sunlight on the ground, get some early success on growth, some native grasses and forest mixed in. They're going to be there instead of that cedar thicket. I promise you. The uh, yes, the old school is a hard thing. Uh, when I was working for NRCS, going to a lot of properties, you see that, and I was actually, as I, I went to a property. It's been about a month ago. Yeah, I was just wondering what he could do. And uh, I think really the main thing he wanted was a road around his property, a firebreak slash road. And he had heard about NRCS and that, you know, they help you with firebreaks. And I told him, you know, NRCS ain't just going to help you with just a firebreak. It's probably not going to get you funded. You're going to need to do more. So, but before I said that, I asked him right off the bat when we was fixing, when we got on the side by side, I was fixing to go look at the property. I said, hey, uh, I said, how do you feel about burning? Then I usually try to fill the landowner out. Just ask him, how do you feel about this? Or how do you feel about a cedar? Anyway, I said, how do you feel about burning? He said, oh, I don't want to burn. I don't want to run my deer off. That was the answer that I got. And I thought, whew, I've got some work to do here. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Definitely. But this is kindly, this this will help. This is how we can take the old school and maybe uh, help them. So he didn't want to burn it, didn't want to run the deer off. So I didn't say, well, that's not how, it's not, they're not going to run the deer off. We just went to the woods with it. And this property had been selective cut about four or five years ago and actually had a good job on the select cut. There's a lot of good residual oaks in there. And it was spaced out. I would say the average basal area of a lot of this, I think it's 110 acres, was probably where it was slick cut outside the basal area, maybe 40 or 50. So if you subtracted the saplings that were coming back, but with the tree, the residual trees. So his deal, he said, when I first got this property, he said everything was completely open. He said, I could look 150 yards of the woods before I logged. He said, and I said, yeah, I said, and I bet when you come to hunt it, you ran everything off when you waited to stand and didn't see on the rest day. He said, yes, exactly. He said, it was too open. So I got in here and I logged it. He said, I like it thick like this. And it was about that four or five year growth, just about to get away from me. I said, okay. I said, that's a, a deer likes this stuff. I said, but it's about to get away from you. I said, and if it keeps going and you don't start touching it with fire, it's eventually going to go right back to what you had to begin with that you didn't like that closed canopy with nothing underneath. And he started talking about when he first had it, you know, he was, he was seeing Turkey and you know, right after he logged it, there's Turkey. I said, yeah. I said, about that first year or two of that growth coming back, there was probably Turkey in here. He's seeing them all the time. And he said, now I don't see no turkeys because he's already hit about that four or five year growth. Turkey can't get in there, you know? And by the time we left, I had him convinced to fire and he put in an application for burning and fire break. And that's exactly what the property needs. But that was just the old school that, well, I like it thick. Yeah, that's, that's a good, 
yes, thick is good, but it's going to get away from you if you don't maintain it with fire. And that's it's that old school thought. It's it's hard to get past. A lot of people like the cedar thickets, but that's because there's nothing better. And this kind of leads me into something. This would be a good way to get people, the old school people, to see and convince them is take them to a property that's been managed right, that has had a good FSI job and a couple of burns and maybe three, you know, three years. And it's, I mean, it's just a lush looking property. And when they see that, they'll get it. And I encourage people, which I'm in North Central Arkansas, we are, um, just east of Ash Flat, there's a WMA. It's called Harold E. Alexander. And Arkansas Game and Fish, the habitat people there, has done an excellent job of doing some real uh, forest stand improvement and reverting that back to its native uh, ecosystem. And I went up there with my buddy, he drew a muzzleloader tag, and I went up there and just carried my binoculars and walked with him. And I'm taking pictures the whole time. It looks great. And we took a tour of it when I worked for an RCS. I mean, it looks amazing. And basically, really what they did, they went in there and smoked the cedar. They cut them down and put some hot fires through there. And then they come back and done some more chainsaw work. There's been hacking, hacking squirting and chainsaw work. It looks excellent. I would advise anybody to call up there, call the game and fish and ask them who to get a hold of to maybe get them to send you a spot on a map and say, hey, this is some areas where we've done the FSI work. Go up there, get you a, a WMA general use permit that, and go up there when it's not in a, a, a muzzleloader or some kind of special permit hunt and just walk it. Take your backpack, put your lunch in it, take your wife, take your kids if they're up for a big hike, and you can pull over there and park at one of them little uh, primitive campgrounds and just start walking. And you will be amazed at all the, the species you'll see. We was just going crazy looking at all the species of wildflowers. And the Natural Heritage uh, Commission has, it goes up there all the time. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, shoot anyway he's one of the guys that worked there works there and he is a plant identifying just genius i told him i wish they had an app that i could put in my pocket that was his mind anyway and i asked him i said what's the best app to get and he said seek by now naturalist is a good one to identify you know take a picture of it and it'll tell you what plant it is theo witzel that's his name theo witzel yep. it's crazy anyway he just loves this part but yeah, go up there, look at a spot like that. And the old school people, you know, take you, if you got a property, say it's your dad's or your grandpa's property, and they're saying, I don't want you killing trees on my property. That's, I like my trees, you know, them wood, that's where the deer are. Them cedar thickets, they're bedded up in there. Take them and show them these spots. Say, hey, this is, this is what my goal is. I want it to look like this. And it's, when you see it, you'll be amazed. I just what recommend people to go see that. What about, uh, you know, so me, you, Hunter, we bought this ground. We're thinking about putting in food plots and buying oh, yeah. equipment. Do we, do we put in food plots? Do we buy equipment? And uh, I heard them battery-powered chainsaws are the way to go because you don't ever have to buy uh, uh, 
gas or mixed gas or have a carburetor issue or whatever, and they'll cut down at least 10 trees. And by then I'm done anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was the next question. I didn't write that down. Okay. So food pots. Seen a lot of people, a lot of people when you get a property, that's the first thing. Oh, I want a food plot. I want to fill up every spot I can with food plots. I like food plots. I have food plots. Um, but you don't have to have food plots. Um, if you bought, let's say you've got 100 acres or 60 acres and you don't own a tractor, you ain't got a side by side that you can put one of them little plows behind it or whatever. You don't have to have a food plot. The if you'll take those old fields and if you could, let's say, let's say you've got fire breaks and you burnt, or maybe you've had NRCS contract or you're comfortable with burning. Just if you'll burn them old fields, I mean, that's right. There's a food plot. Burn it right before turkey season. That's that's the next thing. Best of corn is a good burn. That's going to bring your turkeys in. So there's your turkey plot. A good burn. I promise you, I would. I mean, you go set something on fire. Turkeys will be there the next day. Don't know if they smell it or what, but they're coming for a fresh burn. Anyway, you know, don't don't think. Well, I've got to go buy me a tractor. I got to have these food pots. That's, I would rather put money towards getting fire breaks and uh, doing some FSI work than I would to go get an expensive payment on a tractor. But if you do get a tractor, get a good tractor. You don't get a junky tractor, get a Kubota. Uh, Kubota, <laughs> send, me, send me a check when you get a chance. <laughs> no. But anyway, if it ain't orange, orange, it's a lemon. <laughs> but now you don't ha you don't have to have a tractor. You don't have to have food plots. Um, here's one thing I've done. If if you want to plant something, uh, I've done some chainsaw work, had some burning, and I went out and spread some clover, some white clover seed. I like planting Ladino clover. I just just spread it where uh, there's a burn, and it's a pretty clear spot because I I've done some. Uh, FSI worked there and I just popped a camera up there. This there was no feed, no big fancy food plot. I just a little hand seeder put out some Ladino clover. And that was an active spot with deer. The clover kind of like come up in some holes in that spot. And I didn't have a tractor out there, a fancy disc. And uh that uh that kind of leads me to the a thought of what tools do you need? What tools does me and uh, Hunter and Thomas need now that we've got this new property? That's uh, so, so instead of us going out and buying this big uh, fancy Kubota tractor, let's, uh, how about we go get some hatchets and uh, squirt bottles? And how about we go get some uh, Mazapir 4SL, some Arsenal AC, so we're fixing to kill some trees. I mean, that's pretty cheap. Um, Arsenal AC is not cheap, but you can buy a quart of it on eBay. When I, the, first, the first contract I had, I bought a quart of Amazapir of, of, of 4SL off eBay. It's, I think, 50, 50 bucks, and, uh, which I had hatchets. Anyway, but if you're going to get a hatchet, though, here's a little side note. Get you a good S-Wing. Just get you an S-Wing leather-wrapped handle hatchet. Yep. And those suckers are sharp. They will bury up. And they'll get you to that cambium layer on them thick bark hickories. Yep. Nice and light, just just right off the bat, get you an S-wing. They're going to be about 40 bucks. 
but you've got a good hatchet. And put it in your vise and get that file hold of it after you hack all day. You know, get just make that thing sharp. So when you miss that tree, cut your leg good. The, get you a good spray bottle. Don't get no Dollar General spray bottles. I've even tried the Zeps, the Zeps at Home Depot. Now, I know a hunter has got that 54-ounce pump-up sprayer, and I've used them, but what I've figured out with them is I use a whole lot more chemical when I'm not pumping. I had to, I had to go back to the bottles. <laughs> but that was nice being able to carry 54 ounces. But now I got these uh, Spray Master bottles. They're supposed to have a five-year guarantee. I'm going to try them out. The Zeps, it's a hit and miss on a Zep from Home Depot. And uh, it gets you a good spray bottle. Your chemical, the Mazapir 4SL, it is high for the amount you get, but it goes a long way. And I know y'all mentioned a bunch of that on podcast. Mix it at the... 20 to 25 percent i like to do things a little stout because if i'm in there waiting through all this stuff and wearing my elbow out i want it to for sure die and i think uh drip torch that's get you some drip torches get you two when you get them because you want to have your buddy slinging fire too i mean if you're going to sling fire sling it (laughs) yeah but instead of instead of having an expensive tractor payment let's get a guy in there with a dozer or if we can operate one, let's rent one and put us in fire breaks because we've got to have fire breaks. The, uh, I mean, you, you can you can backpack blow and blow your lines in, but that's just, that's going to be something to discourage you. If you've got good fire breaks, you're probably going to be more likely to burn because it's just easier and it's easier to do your access with your burn. Um, a lot of people, a lot of properties I've been to, they said, man, I wish I had a no-till drill. Well, I mean, I wish I had a lot of things, too. I wish I had a million dollars sitting in there on the table. <laughs> uh, no-till drills are expensive. I mean, you can, you might find a, a no-till drill, something that's probably not that great for $15,000, 16000 or you'll spend 30 thousand. But why do you really need it? You know, are you wanting to plant beans in your four acres of food plots? Well, that's going to be a waste of time. You might as well take those beans and sling them out the window it's the deer gonna wipe it out i tried it i went and uh, rented the county conservation district's drill and planted me a bunch of soybeans that was the first food pots i planted up here with soybeans and it was a complete put this in caps all the listeners it was a complete waste of my time it was a lesson learned but it wasted my time the beans come up about five six inches the deer wiped it out and that was it i didn't have nothing my food plot was done for that summer. <laughs> so that I just, a lot of people, that's just, there's a lot of um, video stuff you can watch out there where they advocate you to plant them uh, the the beans, the glyphosate tolerant beans. But I know maybe if you've got 40 acres of uh, very good tillable ground, plant you some beans, but I know here in Independence County, that's not the issue. It's just a, it's just a waste of time, but I would recommend us to spend money and get us some fire breaks in and get you a chainsaw. Don't get the battery chainsaw. I mean, if you can't be slinging some blue smoke out in the atmosphere, what good are you doing? (laughs) Who wants a battery chainsaw? I mean, I like to, I like to see something, some emissions, some coal roll out of some exhaust. And I mean, it's enough, there's nothing better in a good cold winter day to hear that chainsaw fire. 
and start slinging some sawdust. But if you're going to get a chainsaw now, y'all write this down, get a steel. Go get you a steel. But let's go farther. Get you a commercial steel. Yes. Don't. I, I mean, I've done it. I've got the steels that wasn't the commercial steels, but now I have commercial saws. It just right out of the bat. I wish somebody had told me, Matt, don't be a dummy. Get you a commercial steel. Well, this one here, I mean, it's it's almost half the price. Well, you're gonna you're gonna want the commercial steel. Just go ahead and spend the money. If just for a landowner that's just got some property and you want to get started with this, this is the saw I'd recommend. Give y'all a chance to get y'all's pins. Okay. It's a steel 261 CM. That's a pretty good saw. That's gonna that's a cedar wiping out saw. It's not the biggest saw. You know, you go get you a 660, something like that, if you really want to carry a Mack truck to the woods to saw the cedars, but that'll wear you out. Get you a 261C. It's just that's, an 18 inch saw by steel. You know, 261 is my favorite saw. It's a good one. That's a, uh, I like it. And uh, get you a good steel, steel commercial saw. And uh, that's, I mean, just right out of the bat, that's that's some things. Don't waste your money on something that you've seen on a video that you think you just gotta have. It's really it's it's as simple as putting sunlight on the ground and maintaining with a fire. That's that's gonna do a lot of your work. Um, just trust a fire doing your maintenance. A, a that, good leaf blower. Yeah, a good leaf blower. Yes, that's a good thing. When I'm when I'm doing a burn, I'll have a leaf blower and a, a spray tank on my four-wheeler. Yeah, that, spray, that sprayer will get used more than anything else you own. Yeah, get you a good sprayer. Um, if And here's, here's the deal with the sprayer. When you got a sprayer, when you get done spraying, clean that thing up. I mean, it'll, you'll, it'll eventually start losing prime on you. And then you, your little... Uh, your pressure valve won't shut off. It'll sit there and run and run. And then you get where you can't even reach out there 10 foot spraying. That's because it's got some trash on that diaphragm because you didn't clean it. And if you open that up, it looks got that white cake all over that diaphragm because you didn't clean it. When you get done, run some water, run some Dawn dish soap through it or something. Just clean it out. And uh, if you don't, if that uh, pump gets out, gives out on you, get you another one. Find you one with a warranty. The uh, I had a pump mess up on me and it had a phone number on the side of it. I thought, well, what would this hurt? I just called the phone number. I said, hey, this pump quit. I haven't had it a year. I did about six or eight months. They said, okay, what's your mailing address? They sent me a whole new pump head. I thought I was just going to buy another pump, but dial the number on the side of that thing. Clean your pumps out. Get a good good pump uh, to go on your four-wheeler. That's a, that's a good tool to have. Yeah. Uh and when you think you've hacked enough, oh yeah, <laughs> hack some more. <laughs> yes. So my first NRCS contract, I'm almost embarrassed <laughs> about it. I had, I don't know if it's about, I don't remember how many acres it was, but I had little spots. I'd have, and this this was, this is mostly my fault because I said this is the area I want to try. I want to try this area. I, I really did not know. And I just picked little spots like an acre here or an acre there. And I hacked the fire out of those. But after I started learning more, listening to these podcasts, watching the videos and doing more of it, I learned, oh, man, I should have signed up this whole track of woods. 
and hack the fire out of it. You know, I should have done this on my ridge tops. I should have done this on my south facing slopes. And I just, I just didn't know. And now I found, I'll find myself on my property where I've hacked. I'll go back in that area and outside of that, I'll be hacking more. And then I'll be chainsawing some of it. I like to do a mix. I'll go in and down some trees and then hack some trees. The, uh, I do not, I do not hinge cut. There are probably a lot of people that won't like me saying that, but I'm not a hinge cutter. I just don't no, do it. I'm not a hinge cutter. And I've, uh, that hacking sport and kind of like shooting does. Shoot them till you get nervous that you've shot too many and you're about half done. Right, yeah. When in doubt, kill them out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, don't be afraid to hack some oaks. You've got to sometimes. If if I'm hacking a south-facing slope and I'm trying to get it down to, a, let's say, a 40 or 50 BA, I'm going to be killing some oaks. That's oh, just well. it. I'll be killing some post oaks, some tree that is supposed to be there. But here I've got a good, let's say, a nice 12-inch post oak. It's got a pretty fair canopy on it. He's really trying. Well, I've got another one that's just crooked as a dog's hind leg right beside it that's growing right up into the canopy of, the, canopy of that one. And it's probably, a, let's say, a, a eight inch post oak. And it's probably the same age as that 12-inch or that 16 or 20-inch. It may be the same exact age. It's just uh, to kill it. What's it doing good? Yep. I know it's wasting firewood, but it's also wasting the resources <laughs> of that oak tree and it's robbing sunlight. Kill it. Kill them. Just, just gas on it. Here's a pretty good prescription for here in Independence County and for a lot of counties and probably the Ozarks. If you go on a property, chainsaw every last cedar. I'd say it like this. If you've ever been on a full wheeler on an open station piece of equipment or walking through the woods on a cold day and you get slapped in the face with a limb, that makes you just want to start killing some trees. The, uh, that's, that's a good way to get instantly mad. They ought to do that to boxers when they're coming out for a fight, yep. is get their face good and cold and slap them with a limb. <laughs> that makes me want to whoop somebody. I guarantee you. Have, have that mindset and then start killing cedars. Cut them down. I mean, just cut every one of them and then start in on your hickories. They've done slapped your mom. Start hacking the hickories, then get the gums, wipe them out and start in on your uh, elms, start killing them. And then start getting the, some of the oaks that you need to that's crowded with your other oaks. Start wiping them out. The, uh, but if you just target the hickory, the gum, the elm and the cedar, you're going to make a big difference on the property. If you yes, just if yeah, go a long ways. I was thinking this the other day, if we would just give crackheads drip torches and tell them, convince them that there's bugs inside of those cedars, we could solve some problems. They're going to try to get them bugs out. And if you give them a drip torch, that's like going there over in Iraq, the Taliban and ISIS, and start handing them some nuclear weapons. Yeah, <laughs> they're fixing to start lighting it up. <laughs> yeah, now, I may do that. Just give a random crackhead a drip torch for Christmas, and just <laughs> and then talk to the forestry ditch dispatch after burn season and see what the increase was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now, here's another thing that you've got, uh, you know, a lot of insight into is 
how do we know we're getting the right job out of the right contractor? How do we find the right contractor and how do we make sure they do what we want them to do? This is a very important thing. And uh, working for NRCS, you see a lot of bad jobs. You see some good jobs. And the landowner thinks a lot of the times that NRCS is the person that needs to set you up with the person to get the job, uh, to do your contract. And that's really not the case. They have what's called a vendor's list that has a list of people that do this style of work that's called in and say, hey, put my name on a vendor's list for I do fire breaks or I do hack and squirt, just whatever. Um, and they're going to give you that vendor's list. But it's, that's, there's a real, it's a real tricky thing to get an actual good job. Because there's a lot of people that's going to come out here and do this work and all they care about is getting the money. They don't care anything about you getting better habitat on your property. All they're wanting is to go in, get NRCS to sign off on whatever work they've done and get out, them get paid, you get paid. The landowner's probably going to be happy since they've got some money. But if the landowner's serious and knows about habitat and they didn't get the job, then they may realize it afterwards. Hey, I mean, I, now that I've learned, I didn't, I didn't get the job I should have got. The NRCS will check out these practices and it's got to pass the specs, but you know, some things get checked out a little different than others. Some counties are more, uh, you know, NRCS is a county based thing. Well, it's a federal, uh, federal, but each county has NRCS office for the most part. They're going to go check out the work. But if I, let's say we've got an NRCS contract and we're getting a hacking squirter. First off, I try to find some references, talk to some people. Hey, where's a, ask this guy, ask the contractor, say, hey, where's some properties you've hacked? I want to call those people and talk to them. Or I want to drive by and look, you know, and talk to them and say, hey, what, what do you want to get a basal area down? What do you think? And just see what they know. Fill them out a little bit. Uh, talk to that contractor about the forestry plan. Um, there should be a detailed forestry plan with your contract. When you get when you the contract and all the signing, you get your packet in the mail. There should be a, a forestry plan, and that forestry plan should give a target basal area, and NRCS or some uh, foresters that work with NRCS that are funded through NRCS. Or it could be the Quail Forever people come out and take initial forestry plots after they see that you're going to get this contract and say, hey, he's got 140 basal area and this is what we need to bring it down to. So they're going to put together the forestry plan and say the target basal area is 60. Well, maybe you need to talk with the NRCS people or be out there when that person that's taking those initial forestry plots and talk to them about the different slopes, say, hey, on my south facing slopes, I would like to go down to a 40. And on these north facing slopes, or ask them, what do I need to be getting to? In these north facing slopes, do I need to go down to an 80? You know, is it 140? I go down to an 80. Release, can we do a crop tree release? Um, just make sure that that forestry plan is detailed, site specific, maybe even slope, you know, slope specific, and talk to that contractor about that plan. Because that's, that's literally, what he needs to go by if you're getting a contractor to do hack and squirting and he does, does not ask you for a forestry plan 
fire him right there. Do not let him on your property. That's the first thing I'm going to ask is say, hey, uh, I need your forestry plan and a map, a map of where your planned area is to do this hacking squirt. If they don't ask for that plan, they don't need to be on there. They don't need to start hacking. They talk to them. It needs to be at this basal area. Say your target's a 60 basal area average across the property. So with an average basal area, say if your average is 60, they could go on a north facing slope to an 80 on a south facing slopes, average of 40, you know, to get your 60 across the whole area. You know, that uh, a good hacking squirter should be able to know that. Know, hey, I need to do these north facing a little light and south facing a little heavy. And I'll get this average, I'll land it. Um, a good hacking squirt contractor should take test plots after he's done hacking or after he's hacked this area, these 10 acres go in there. He should take a test plot to say, okay, we're good. We're good to go. Don't just turn people loose. You picked up on the side of the road on the way to the job and turn them loose hacking and expect it to be this perfect job. Cause it's probably not the, uh, hacking squirting is kind of a niche that not everybody knows about it and how to do it. So you can't pick up a random crackhead on the way to the job and expect it. They're probably going to get it down to a zero basal area because they're wired up. But <laughs> <laughs> that may, may not be what you want. Anyway, uh, and, and tell that contractor, say, hey, I, it's got to meet this target basal area, and then I'll pay you. Now, that's fair to me. If somebody told me that, I'll say, yes, sir. When, yep. it, when, when they come out and uh, inspect it and it reaches this target basal area, and tell them what your test plots was. Say, hey, I've hacked all this. This is what I've got for my uh, average basal area. This is, and hey, a contractor, I've done this on a slope uh, or on a, a hacking job, um, put on a map where you took it, taking your test plots and what basal area you got right there. So you can give that, say, hey, my hacker said right here, these coordinates, he's got a basal area of 60, whereas his, his forestry plot is taken there. That's proof that, hey, I've took the test plots. This is it to me. This passes, and then it's up to NRC. It's ultimately up to NRCS to pass it. But you need to make sure that NRCS is doing a good job of doing this checkout. Um, they may get out there and not look it over deep, or not walk way back in the woods because it's it's tick season. There's chiggers everywhere. There's snakes, whatever. But they need to go back there and check it out. Um, maybe call the Quail Forever girls. Get them up there when the jobs got started. Have them look it over. Say, hey, they're out here hacking. Can you look and make sure they're doing a good job? I don't want to get ripped off. You, you've got to get a good job. You know, when you're when you got this contract, you may not ever get another contract. Make sure you're getting your money's worth. And as far as uh, when you're getting the dozer guy out there, make sure you're getting a good dozer guy. Make sure, I've seen a lot of bad fire breaks that you couldn't even I wouldn't turn my kids loose on a four wheeler with it because they would wreck. It's just they're just so bad. Uh, the water bars, I mean, looks like you put them in with a Abram tank and you just shot in the middle of the fire break. That's just bad fire breaks. You should, you should be able to get a smooth fire break. The, uh, and because your fire breaks also going to be the road that you're going to access around this property. You're going to be lighting fires off this fire break. Um, you're going to be maintaining this fire break for years to come. You just make sure and, uh, I would get the pictures. I'd ask the do a dozer guy, I'd say, hey, you got pictures of some fire breaks you've done. Um, I want to, I want you want proof. You got any references? Um, let's see. Yeah, I definitely 
don't I wouldn't pay them until it meets the plan until it's all checked out and you are 100% satisfied with it it's your property you also need to make sure do your research make sure you're getting a good job don't fully trust NRCS and don't fully trust any contractors you also make sure you're getting a good job that's a very important thing go with them when they check it out NRCS calls say hey I'm gonna swing by your property you're gonna check out that uh, let's say it's 3.30, you know it's about quitting time. Hey, we're going to swing by and do a checkout, check out that FSI job. Uh, are they really going to go out there, walk the woods and look this over, make sure you really got a good job? Don't sound like it. Uh, tell them, say, hey, I want to go with you. Oh, okay, well, we're going to need to come in the morning. Go with them. Walk with them. Make sure when them plots are taken that it is, this is what the basal area is. You know, don't. It's your property. You can go with them. And just make sure you get a good job. That's a that's an important thing. It's I've just seen a lot. I've seen good jobs, but I've seen a lot of bad jobs. But well, Matt, we uh, we really appreciate your time and and coming on and and you know again, I think your perspective as a landowner and then as a landowner with an NRCS contract and then later as an NRCS employee and now as a contractor gives you a unique perspective uh, that most people don't get to see all those different sides of the, of the game. So we really appreciate you coming on. Hunter, you got any questions in closing or we won't give Matt a chance to, to, uh, you know, say anything else that uh, maybe, maybe we missed. Oh, I think we could keep going for a long, long time. There's a whole lot of things here we could talk about, but I think we just better have him on again and we'll break some of this down a little deeper and, and, uh, get into some details on, uh, um, some of this, uh, basal area and, uh, forest restoration and, uh, um, and even some old field management and, uh, you know, really, really get in depth on some of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that'd be good for sure. For sure. Well, Hey, we really appreciate y'all tuning in and listening and uh, we hope to visit with you next time. In the, mean, in the meantime, I hope you're sitting on a deer stand or standing behind a bird dog or maybe even wading a flooded marsh or timber somewhere and enjoying the season because uh, it's the time that we should get out and enjoy the good Lord's creation and uh, all that we've been working for all year long. Y'all take care. We'll talk to you next time.